Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming and the spookiness and the terror and the chills to determine what is the single greatest horror movie of very specifically 1985. Now, we are going to do every month of 1985. We're not going to hone in on one specific 30-day period uh, or 31 or 28. Sorry. Or sometimes 29. Was 85 a leap year? Nobody Correct. knows. Yes. Um, what we're, tonight is a very, very special night because we are going to not only finally choose what the number one movie, number one horror movie of 1985 was, the movie of the year, but also give out awards. Topkins, as we said every week, none of these movies were nominated for Oscars. So tonight they're going to get something better than Oscars. Are you excited? Yes. Uh, should I say how excited? Yeah. Very Okay. Give me two words. Very, very. Okay. Now give me one word that is not very. Very, very. Yes. Very varied. Thank you. Um, Tompkins, we could not do this very, on our own. Very. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. We could mm-hmm. not do this on our own. Um, as we've done none of this on our own. We've had special guests. All throughout this little mini bonus season. But tonight, I would say we're going to have a guest that is not as as special, I would say. It's Mike. It's Pop Filter's Mike. Why am I not special? I um, I just realized we missed a golden opportunity to, to piss a lot of people off by having one of the Moody's be uh, best guest. Oh, yeah. We should have. <laughs> it's Mike. That's why you asked me back. That was an off-air award, and then I won, so I'm here. Yep. So yeah, it's it's basically comes out of two things, Tom. It's either um, Mike was the best guest, and that's why we asked him back, or he is the only one who would watch all the movies in order to vote in the award show. Hmm. And I wonder and I, which one it is. I watched them in order yesterday, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> eight eight movies yesterday. Eight movies yesterday, in order of what I thought their importance was. That's that's perfect. That's how movies should be watched. So I gotta yeah. tell you, there's some that I barely remember. Tompkins, you and I have been I discussing the horror of 1985 for uh, years at this point. So, yeah. Mike, why don't you tell us, what do you think of the year? Was it a strong one? I, I think having having watched them all and listened to you guys talk about them, and you're like, maybe 85 sucked. It's it's With genre, a genre, even one as popular as horror, I think there's a lot of dog shit in there, but the strong that's in here is really fucking strong. And there's some template creating movies in this bracket that movies still today are doing the things they created in 85. Okay. Yeah. So For that instance, sounds more positive than we sound, scary. but uh, that sounds more positive than we were, but I don't know. Maybe it's because this has gone so long. It's been yeah. so drawn out and we had to focus for so long on each of the terrible, terrible movies. Maybe we're just fucked in the head. Yeah, like, I did not dead. dedicate my life uh, of COVID to this because you guys went, wow, the world outside is bad. I should probably make my life equally as bad. Let's dig mm-hmm. in. Yeah, I wish I died of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't that be spooky? <laughs> Maybe no. by the end of the show. <laughs> now, typically in award shows, this is the time where I tell you guys... Um, 
by by the numbers, I go through and like who got nominated for what or how many uh, Moody's each of these movies got nominated for. I'm not going to do that because I think it reveals too much about what we think about things. And so I'm just going to leave that secret for now. But I will say that of the eight movies uh, that are up for grabs here, um, all eight of them were nominated for at least one Moody. So Aww. is that surprising? No. They all offered something. And I can't remember the awards right now, but I'm sure there was a dumbest, dumb shit, waste of our time award. There actually wasn't like a real derogatory one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's the point? That's our point of awards at Filter. <laughs> That's the Razzies territory, man. We don't want to be stepping on their toes. No, um, our thing is both. We do the Oscars and the Razzies. <laughs> Who razzes the Razzies? Mm, we do. Uh, I wouldn't have been too surprised if, spoiler alert, Friday the 13th Part 5 did not get any nominations, but there would have been a few that were like borderline still. But because beginning? we're such... Yes, a new beginning. Um, a new hope. Uh, but because we're such good impartial judges, we we tossed them a bone. Well, apparently we thought that they did something right. And yeah, I can't remember what the awards are either, but eventually we'll get to it. When, I, when, when we're going through the nominees and I say Friday the 13th Part 5, a new beginning, then you guys be like, oh... That's the one Friday the 13th was nominated for. The and one. We'll all remember. <laughs> but I, I mean, I do have to say, though, that it was still talked about a lot through the season. Uh, being so egregiously terrible really did give it a lot of juice throughout yeah. all of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, what? I think there's some films that have been forgotten in, in the season because they're just like, whatever, forgettable. Like, never be forgettable. Be so bad it leaves a taste of copper in the watcher's mouth. <laughs> I will. Uh, we we almost used it to like ad hoc create a stat that that is not like wins above replacement. It's like wins above absolute piece of dog shit uh-huh. uh, because we were constantly <laughs> measuring things by like how much better they were than this. Whether it was like a little or a lot, it became a real um, yeah touchstone. And not just even like the movies that came after it, but like getting kicked in the balls. Yeah. Like that that wasn't Friday the thirteenth part five. So yeah. <laughs> four stars. All right. Guys, well we have, uh, as is our responsibility, our duty, we have some movies to uh destroy. We have some movies to kick out of the bracket, never to be heard from again. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna kick out one of those movies. Round one, battle one. Your number one seed is the reanimator. Your number eight seed is Friday the thirteenth, part five. <laughs> A new beginning. So. I think <laughs> there's a reason they both have equal cult following. They both are, in a sense, a beginning. Yeah. Hmm. Speak on that. Reanimator began the Reanimatorverse, which <laughs> every 15 years they made another one. Uh, <laughs> but people fucking chanted a bit for it and friday the 13th part five a new beginning began people saying what if we don't need more of these now you're gonna keep giving them to us that's cool too <laughs> i guess we'll go see them then yeah <laughs> i have no choice uh yeah i what uh, we're i guess let's it's time to talk about friday the 13th uh part five and to dare i say eulogize it um yeah I, what is there to say about this movie <laughs> Well, Mike, uh, it has become <laughs> it has become legendary around these parts. Uh, do you and you've seen probably more eighties horror movies than me and uh, Tompkins put together? Is this, are we correct here in in like our absolute despise for this movie? Yeah, what what this movie does wrong 
uh, and like the eighties churned out a lot of schlock, right? Uh, and what this does wrong is it is not memorable schlock. It's not fun. You can't really get titillated. Uh, it has no understanding of tension or the cult of Jason. So what the fuck are we here for? Yeah, and even that, like the scenes that in a uh, better, worse movie would have been memorable, like the the fifties guys, like the rednecks. You know, the things where it's trying to to be like, here's here's something for you. It just like it just it was all so flat and porny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was like, oh, we'll just be a little weird here, and that'll make people remember us instead of like digging into the weird like let us really sit in that weird why are these 50s guys in their 50s don't wet our weird i think that a part of it too is that it really speaks to how important the structure of movies and screenwriting is and you think that oh if it's bad you know if it's good bad then it can be bad on every level but for most of the movies that are so bad they're good they still have a basic like fundamental understanding of how stories are told and how movies work and this movie doesn't. It just, mm-hmm. it just is like the pacing is. It's not just that it's slow. It's so fucking all over the place that it's yeah. impossible to sit through. You just, it's, it's like hearing, it's like seeing a color that you've never seen before. Like I don't that that's disgusting. I don't know and, what and to this make color of this. Sucks. It, it, it's all. It feels like at this point they knew kids were going to either be at the drive-in feeling up each other's tits or at like. Maybe VHS was like just big, right? So they'd be at a house and they're like, okay, let's punish them because they're not going to pay attention. So we won't try either. <laughs> like, not, instead of trying to make the kids pay attention, they're just like, fuck well, you then. If you look Mike, at like. Mike, we've only been going out for two months. I don't know if we're ready to start feeling up each other's tits. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. I think it's time to take that step, baby. Tom, sorry, Tom, what were you going to say? <laughs> Um, I was going to say that Mike and I have only been going out for two months, and I'm not sure if we're ready to start feeling up each other. <laughs> well, we should have said that at the same time. <laughs> <Never mind>. Yeah, <laughs> and now is where you find out I've been dating both of you for two months. <laughs> yeah, Wait, I guess. Um, speaking to your point, Mike, uh, what it is then, I guess, I think what they made is a a movie, a horror movie that you can play in the background of other movies that have a horror movie being played in the background. Right. You know, like, they're if, like, that's how we'll make our money. <laughs> if you have characters that go to the theater in your movie and for like a second or two, you see the movie screen. Here's something you can put on there. It's just endless garbage of just random horror shit. Yeah, I'm sure. Immediate stock footage sales. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Jamie Kennedy has yelled about the rules of horror movies over this film at some point. <laughs> um. When you when you look at like the room or troll two like famously good bad movies that have a cult following and that people love, you know what you were talking about, you know like structure. I would say that those are movies that either somehow wind up following uh, enough of a structure that all of the crazy bad stuff still kind of gets strung together in a, in a way that you can track, or they fuck with structure in a way that's like so wrong it, yeah. it grabs your eye and this movie just like stumbles over its dick for like an hour and a half there's nothing even close to like enough of a decision that it could stand out it's just scenes that happen to occur next to each other and then on top of all of that uh on uh, with like a very clear misunderstanding of how movies are written and shot and edited <laughs> 
we they then make the decision of we're gonna have this mystery thing where we don't know who Jason is, but you should have solved it. It was the ambulance driver in the beginning who watched <laughs> his who had to go and pick up his fat son from being after being murdered. How did you not guess that? Also, by the way, right at the end, the main character also might be Jason. We don't know. We fr- frankly we don't want to know. Yeah. If you're yeah, if you're gonna do a mystery, uh, there has to be clues. You have to make people hungry for the mystery and slowly putting it together. And Give the red fuck. herring shouldn't come at the very end. Like that's not when you're like, ah, you got it wrong. Like this is, it does feel like Christopher Nolan watched this and then was like, I could do this better and made Inception. A string of scenes that don't really <laughs> fit together, and at the end, people are confused. And Inception was better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those scenes were better than these scenes, but it's still not a good movie. <laughs> All right, guys. On the on the flip side, it's going against a movie called The Reanimator. Um, it is the number one seed. Do you guys feel like? You guys have your uh, fingers on the pulse of the 1985 horror world, specifically as it relates to Pop Filzer in this show. You know, you guys have been talking to the fans. You guys have been at the conventions on the ground floor. Do we feel the groundswell for Reanimator, or uh, does it not seem like that big of a deal? I know that there is a groundswell, and I did rewatch it, keeping an open mind, as I famously always do. Um, but. I I don't consider it the number one seed still. I would I would put a different movie as the number one seed, and I would put this slightly lower. <laughs> okay, so it <laughs> it is the number one seed. It's just it's not what you hope wins, but yes. like as like as um I don't know. I think it's it? um like uh were the Clippers the number one seed this year? They were not. They were number three. Hmm. So it's more of a number three scene because it's gonna lose. <laughs> cool, man. That hurts me in two different ways. <laughs> that, that was that's what he meant to do. Uh, yeah, I, I fully understand why it's the number one seed, and the I do think the fervor for this movie died down. Like when you talk to horror people, even like five, ten years ago, I think there was a little more energy for it. And I think some of our other films, the energy has grown, which is why this shit is crazy. Why it's fun to do a movie thirty-five years later. Because if five years ago a movie from '85 was number one, why would that change? I don't know, guys, but it's gonna. <laughs> All right. Well, this the end of this segment about Reanimator did not go how I had hoped, so I'm going to cut this segment short, uh, and we're going to move this to a vote. Uh, Mike, you are the less than special guest, Reanimator, or Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning. Uh, I would say it's Reanimator. Oh no, I know what I don't want to say is uh, Michael A. Nunez Jr. Uh, shows up in two of her films and i think he really highlights uh he's not a i can make the material better he's a rise to the occasion kind of guy but i do think demon is one of the best parts of absolutely five new beginning in fact if i can vote for reanimator but then sort of salvage michael a nunez out of the husk of friday the 13th part five and he kind of goes on with reanimator Um, oh, so it's like Sublime with Rome? It's, yeah. it's Reanimator with Michael Re-animator Nunez. Reanimator with Michael Nunez. I'm, I'm actually not sure that we're going to talk about him again, um, or like in the awards, because, you know, like with this happens in award shows, all of his votes canceled each other out, because uh, he was nominated <laughs> for two things. But uh, his name is Demon Winter in Nightmare, uh, or I'm sorry, Friday 13.5. And uh, so, so many life changes. Like, I now don't take a dump unless my wife is standing on the other side of the door singing with me uh two incredibly different songs uh, yeah. that do not line up like this it, it was a big deal so miguel well, you, nunez jr i would say get ready for the pop filter hall of fame 
And yeah. you sold your house and bought a van full of mall court food, right? <laughs> yeah, a van full of mall court food. I have, I have one example of every single type of mall court food in my van uh, right now. I can't wait to drink that van-temperatured orange Julius. <laughs> uh, let me put an egg roll right in that for you, Mike, and I'm going to send you on your way. All right, so Tompkins, reanimator or nightmare? Fuck! Uh, reanimator or Friday the 13th? <laughs> um... Am I like? It's very tempting for me to. I saw vote. Vote. Yeah, I know. So you're kind of I, an I wanna, anarchist. Yeah, I want to vote uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five just to, <laughs> to put tension. some weight on you. <laughs> so now, now we all understand not only that Tompkins did vote for Trump, but why he voted for Trump <laughs> with that I'm, with that fucking move right there. I'm the Joker, uh, baby. And I, I will vote for the reanimator. Uh, sorry, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, but let's say this is the last time we're going to talk about. It. No, it's probably nominated for a award, so I'm just going to talk about it for the rest of my fucking life. This is it. This is it for me. <laughs> Cursed you. That's the real new beginning. Speaking of awards, uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Best Supporting Actress. Our first award, much like the Academy Awards, is Best Supporting Actress. Um, I'm just. I just want to give each of you five six seven minutes to just go over what what you think that award entails you know what what do you think who do you think it should go to in general mike we'll start with you i think it, it should probably in general well mike let's let's split this 50 50 i'll divide what i think it means to be uh an actor and you give a definition of what it means to be a woman and then we can kind of smoosh them together see nothing wrong with this take <laughs> it away Acting is the art of treading the boards. It is when you enter the mind and being of another person or creature, or sometimes a tea kettle, like in uh, Beauty and the Beast, and you inhabit the role so good that people forget they're watching a cartoon movie. So hey, amazing. Mike, real quick. Uh, sorry, time to interrupt, but... Uh, Mike, we can see in Tompkins' glasses that he is reading this from a website, but I just want to be clear, <laughs> that website is DanielTompkins.com, yeah. and this is something that he reads often this to people. This is his biography. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tompkins, keep going, I guess. Uh, and so you be the other person so good that other people forget you are not the other person. And Yeah, I straight uh, up thought Angela Lansbury was that tea kettle. Yeah, and it was upsetting to me when I then saw her like IMDb photo and it's just some woman. Yeah. I want to see a tea kettle solving all those murders in that small <laughs> New England town. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That, would be that is what you want to see. Yes. I would pay good money to see that. <laughs> that is exactly what Mike wants to see. <laughs> all right. Uh, and Mike- so I, yeah. I, I like how we're explaining the first part, ACTR, and then Mike is explaining ESS, and we're just going to leave supporting there. But Mike, now yeah. explain what a woman means well, I mean, to you. <laughs> it's fraught, right? It means it's a lot of things. Uh, I think it's... It, it's it's fraught who, not. Who you are in, internally uh, and how, how you feel you should express yourself. Yeah, I think supporting is important, especially in, in horror and 80s horror. Uh, it's... It's it's got to be memorable in this stuff. You're not necessarily looking for the most naturalistic actor. Uh, it's somebody who who really helps gets the tone of the film and and helps support that in all moments there on there. The boards, as Tompkins said. 
Do you think that for actresses, one of the most supporting things that they do is wear a bra because it supports those little boobies? Okay, uh, Ryan. What? Yeah, I, I'm Ryan. sorry. What? I, I've read Gloria Steinem's Wikipedia, so I don't agree with that. <laughs> Did Tompkins write that too? I think so. One of the most supporting things an actress can do is be there for the male actor. No, that's somehow worse than what Ryan said. <laughs> what do you mean somehow? It's very obvious why that's worse. All right. This is why I Let's stick get to tea kettles. Let's get to the nominees. Speaking of Frotnot, your first nominee is Amanda Burse from the film Frotnot. Mike, what do we think? Is this... Uh, who is this in Frotnot? I'm bad with this, actor names. This is the girlfriend who is seduced by the vampire and has a has a little hair down in the basement scene where uh, her face gets gross. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, that she nails and she sells. So even if he wasn't a vampire, why she would be more into Sarandon than Charlie? Yeah. Because uh, he treats her better. Like not even with the magic <laughs> or anything. He just treats her more like a human being than Charlie does. Uh but yeah, I, th- I think she she gives a great performance, and she gets the she walks that line throughout the movie of how much arch and how much camp. Was it easy for you, Tompkins, to forget that she was Marcy Darcy? Incredibly, it was incredibly easy. I can forget almost anything that I want to. <laughs> What's Good a Marcy job. Darcy? Marcy Darcy is who she played on the the seminal hit Fox sitcom Married with Children. For she played her for like sixteen years. Yeah. Oh, the neighbor? The neighbor, yeah. That's the neighbor. The neighbor Rooney. Uh she she's great in that she had a lot of like uh way to she had to play like the nagging girlfriend at times, and uh I think a different actress might have um revealed that as like weaker writing, but she just kind of like made it work. Um <laughs> and yeah, then she had to play the vampire, she had to be seduced. Yeah, she, she went through she went through the paces in this, and I th- I thought she did a great job. Yeah, uh, I think on the Fright Night show, Tom, because we talked about how, um, you know, because the movies, the movie wasn't super interested in girls, as we talked about, um, and that it was like a last minute entry into the script. The screenwriter was like, oh, fuck, there's no girls in here and just whipped her into there in like two hours. And I've taken him up pretty good for that because, yeah, I agree. She goes through a lot of stuff. Your next nominee is from Reanimator. It's Barbara Compton, who plays... Uh, Megan Halsey, the Dean's daughter. Tompkins, tell me what you think. The Dean's her daddy. Um, yes, he, yes, he is. <laughs> she makes that clear. Um, I, I think that this this is a solid performance. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's pretty serviceable. The movie doesn't ask a lot of her, but she also doesn't put a lot in it. it this is pretty traditional girlfriend role. But. Uh, uh, the movie doesn't ask a lot of her. The movie asks her to lay down on a table naked while yeah. a guy takes his head off and puts it in oh, between if, her legs. This is the actress I feel most sorry for award. Yeah, like, ro- rocket her that. straight to the top. <laughs> that was horrifying to watch. <laughs> I think all five of these nominees uh, get their clothes. Your next one, <laughs> Mike, your next one is Hope Lang from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Hope Lang is the friend of the girlfriend who throws the pool no who sits at the edge of the pool at the pool party in a bikini uh, i think we're gonna get we're gonna uh find Did out she through do a the lot of dance the weird non-dance dance maybe uh we're gonna find out a lot through these these finale episodes that there was not a lot of juicy parts for women not a lot of support yeah the 80s were yeah. all about the dudes which is crazy because these women have so many juicy parts <laughs> <laughs> Tompkins, not it what is, the it is fuck truly, man 
not that kind of show. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry, he Mike. Can I, feel the I, no, if, I can't do the bra thing. I can't do it. I'm sorry because I know if Kate was here, she would have slapped that shit down. Like, this is, I'm just the guest Tompkins respects the least, so he feels like he could show off. Hey, Mike, come on. It's, I said it, it respectfully. First of all, it's it's the movie's fault and society's fault that these women are not respected and not our fault. But Hope Lang is actually the mom of the main character and not not a friend at all. Uh, then she does not do the weird dance. Yeah, moms are never friends. And if you think they are, they're tricking you. Moms are not your real friends. <laughs> she does the mom role. She does nothing here, man. Yeah. So that was the dance. She does the mom role. Yeah. Roll to all the right. left. Roll to the right. <laughs> Pinch a little cheek and say good night. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to move on Tompkins uh, From Phenomena The next nominee is Daria Nicolodi The mom of one Fucked in the face son <laughs> Nickelodeon um, I, I, I I would be very surprised if this one won I think middle <laughs> of the pack D- did, not, did not do well, did not do bad She simply was in the movie No, she, come on she, she played school marm very well. Like she was severe, but like a different kind of severe than the other principal. Like I never got whose role was what, but they they were definitely <laughs> different energies. Uh, she was like a slightly more nurturing severe, and then fully off the deep end. She was like, "I got to scare Jennifer," and feels like she went into the mirror, teased out her hair, and then just like started cackling, <laughs> like because she knows what to bring. She went into the mirror. She took her top off and said, "Oh, remember these babies?" Uh, and then came out and. Yeah, it did a bunch of coke and then chased after her. This she also her, changed since I was on it last. Yeah. Well, that's a that's from Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, okay. where right. the waitress the waitress just goes into the mirror and says, "You can do this," and then just pulls her <laughs> boobs out for no reason. Uh, I wasn't trying to be disgusting like Tompkins. Uh, <laughs> the other problem with with this performance, and this is the case with a lot of the performances, is like Daria Nicolodi is an Italian actress with a Swedish accent speaking in German with. English subtitles over a like Swahili dub. Like no one is speaking the same language in this movie, and that does make conversations clunky. Yeah, it is true. Is so, fu- so does she get like a like a golfing handicap, a handicap for that or something? I I think just look at how they all react in like the, the traditional art of clowning, and I think she actually nails that more than any of the other supporting actresses. And I would say she fits in with what the rest of the movie, right? It's yes. all about handicapped people, and this is hers. <laughs> and Next. speaking of speaking of this kind of show, Mike, your final nominee, and I feel like that you're responsible for this one, is Linnea Quigley, who plays Trash in Return of the Living Dead, a performance where she takes her clothes off and doesn't put them back on. Why am I responsible for Trash? <laughs> <laughs> Look at the two of us. <laughs> a question that answers itself. Uh, so... To the, the various levels of how Return of the Living Dead does and does not understand punks in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> Trash is definitely one who like starts jerking off in the middle of the graveyard thinking about dying while the guy next to her is like, please don't make me think The horny punk is very real. It's a real phenomenon. I'm going to say that that's, she's different than someone who is horny or a punk. I, I think that she has <laughs> a lot of other issues going on and she needs to speak to someone. Well, she got freaking zombie disease for one. Well, now she does, yeah. From the acid rain. <laughs> I did. She has the magic ability to suddenly find clothes when she's sick of being naked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Useful. Your nominees are, one more time, Amanda Burst from Fright Night, Barbara Compton from Reanimator, Hope Lang from Nightmare on Elm Street, 
Daria Nicolodi from Phenomena and Linnea Quigley from Return of the Living Dead. Where do we think this is going? Uh, Fright Night. I'm going to say Fright Night, yeah. And I was going to say it, even if Mike didn't. Yeah, well, we'll never know, will we? (laughs) And your winner is... It's Amanda Burst from Fright Night. Yeah, we guessed right. What? No way! Do you think think that you're more excited, Tompkins? Do you think you're, you're more excited than she is right now? No way. This is the best night of her life. To win a Moody? <laughs> she won a Moody. <laughs> um, this is probably the only good night of her life. Come on. Ouch. All right. I guess. Uh, let's take a break. Pose Tompkins down. And when we come back, we're going to kick a- another movie out of the bracket. <laughs> Round one. Battle two. Your fourth seed, Fright Night. Versus your fifth seed, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Now, I do want to remind everyone that Letterboxd.com provided us with this seeding. But, Tompkins, do you want to explain real quick why this is such a fun little matchup right now? These are the the two movies that we talked about, like, all gay stuff for them. Basically all gay stuff. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Mike and very, who- very, very well and nicely, I'll say. We did a very... I think we did a good job. Only we did the audience can... Ultimately, determine that, but I give us a I give us a pass. Well, and and we had we like found uh, experts to yes do it for us, so that's why we did a good job. <laughs> um, Mike, without um, beat on those two shows and without speaking to the experts of gay culture that we did, uh, were you able to pick up on what these movies were in- putting down? Are you including Taylor in that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'll say self <laughs> self professed gay culture expert Taylor Wilhite was on one of the shows. Oh, he I mean he does profess that often. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I picked up on their subtleties, their nuance there. I think one was a little more subtle and nuanced and uh, handled it better and more deftly. And in general, is a more enjoyable film to watch. I don't know if that goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other was Nightmare on Elm Street too. I think this is a, a great point to brought. We 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 texted about this a little bit, Mike. But we we watched both Nightmare on Elm Street two and uh, the documentary uh, Scream, Come a Queen, and um, you know we talked about there. There's that debate in the documentary about like the writing versus the performance and how that was the whole thing. Um, I did not know based on the documentary, although we speculated about it somewhat that that. Apparently, I was talking to uh, a different person I, I know who is um, like a, a queer horror fanatic, and they said that the writer has also since come out as gay, and that really makes a big difference, at least for the documentary and how you read what is going on at the time, because the documentary phrases it like it's just um, this guy being completely callous. Um, but if it's a cal- if it's a closeted writer and a closeted performer and they're like, you know, there's sort of like blame being shifted back and forth. That's a very different dynamic that I also think is a lot more interesting than what the documentary gave us. Yeah, I, I don't. It, the, the people who made the documentary, which was uh, a lot of it was the lead of Nightmare, had, you know, a ton to do with it. Uh, he was the yeah. star, but also sort of like the writer in that way. The documentaries have writers, you know, um, yeah. He did not seem very interested in anybody that wasn't his, himself and his own experience. Um, but knowing that about, like, with, with the writer being straight, 
or not having come out like uh, how the documentary makes it seem, it seems like that he just thought that it was fun to... Like, it was funny, you know? Isn't it funny to have things be slightly gay? And then when you come at me at it, I'm going to get more defensive than ever. And so for yeah. him to instead be actually telling his story, you know, hidden underneath a horror... Not just a horror movie, but uh, the second part of a hit horror franchise... <laughs> Yeah, it just makes everything make so much more sense. Yeah, that makes it feel yeah. like no matter what movie he wrote next, it was going to be this allegory. And he just mm. happened to get the good luck, bad luck that it was in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And so it was about the mo- and it makes it, it makes it more sympathetic there to that he like he felt like a monster inside of him because it's not like the movie makes Freddy sympathetic. Like the movie still is full on like this guy's a monster. Right, and it's yeah. and I don't think it makes like I think it's it's easy to say that like homosex just homosexuality in general is the monster, but I think it's it's way more nuanced than that. Sort of like Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I think it's more like just feeling like there's a monster inside of you because that's what right. you're told by everyone around you is a lot a, a lot better way to describe the movie. Yeah, this yeah. is how kids those days felt, and probably. Right. And, not these just days. those days though just those days i don't i think <laughs> i think the world's getting better in some ways yeah okay um i think that the in the bubbles that we're in it definitely feels like it yeah let's stay in our bubbles our yes bubbles do not rule. leave our bubbles oh god i love my bubble we had bubbled up long before the pandemic and we <laughs> were me loving bubble it boy. um it's going up against fright night and so this is like you know this is the four or five seed this is the closest battle as far as the numbers go um but before we get to Fright Night, I do I, I don't think that Nightmare was a truly terrible movie. I think that no. it was cheesy and it was awkward. You know, like it was definitely bumpy in the way that it tried to basically do everything. But it's so much closer to our upper movies than Friday the Thirteenth. I think. Oh yeah, worlds of of difference. I th- I think this one is perfectly seated. Uh, five seems like absolutely right. Like middle of the pack, maybe a slight like. You know the the upper crust of the lower crust. Yeah, I I probably put it a little lower, but yeah, I mean there were awesome scenes. The scene where is his friend Rob? Is that his friend's name? Mm. Where he's like, something's wrong, Rob. Like like, and they're in Rob's yeah. bedroom, and the the parents are on the other side. Like that that is a legit good eighties horror scene. Like seeing like the anger, the parents are. The kid is obviously in harms, and they're just like, "Rob, open the goddamn door." They're only angry because they're shitty '80s parents, uh, <laughs> and then that turning into fear with the blood coming out of the door. All of that was pretty dope. Yeah, I think yeah. that they definitely spent time on all of those set pieces, and they were thoughtful, even with a budget that seems like it should have been way higher, but it just New Line wasn't going to do it. Yeah. You know, it also stayed true to the the monster in question, like it. It was a. It felt like a true Freddy movie, even if it was a you know a sort of diversion from the first one, as opposed to the Jason movie we watched. That again, it got no Jason. Yeah, it it has something that um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five distinctly did not, which was at least one single redeeming quality. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to the other one then. The fourth seat is Fright Night. Um, how did this one, guys? Or let's start with you, Mike. How did this hit you? This was this is sort of in this weird uh, comedy mm-hmm. horror realm, but maybe not as broad as House. Um, yeah, what do you think? I think if we're comparing to House, a movie that's not in this battle, I think the scares are scarier and the comedy is comedier. Uh, mm. I fucking loved Fright Night. 
Oh yeah, Fright Night's uh, great. I th- I think Fright Night is something of the Denver Nuggets of this uh, playoffs because it might exactly take out someone say. a little exactly bit higher seeded than than it is. You're gonna be so embarrassed when this actually comes out. And the Denver Nuggets have been <laughs> booted out of the playoffs. They oh, they have been. been. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I but not before it. they took that, out hockey. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so, Mike, you didn't know whether or not the Denver Nuggets have been booted out. Where, where are you podcasting from again? Uh, straight from Denver, Colorado, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Way to support your uh, fucking local sports team. I got to tell you, I'm not sure why, but it feels like a little less communal than I was led to believe before I moved here. There's not a big community <laughs> here. Nobody's really... Yeah, not a lot of like, gathering together that's, in public that's terrible. to celebrate that sucks. each other. I would say the other thing, too, is that Fright Night was the truest surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Everything that I watched sort of lived up to its reputation more or less. Um, but Fright Night was, I don't know, like it's been remade. And so that sort of speaks to the reputation. Like it's obviously, you're not going to remake something if it doesn't have a ton of fans already. But I still didn't know that much about it. I hadn't heard that much about it. And it was it was also, it was just like one of the truer delights from yeah. start to finish. Like, even some of the better movies that we watched were still fucking hard to get through. Yeah, yeah. this one, it, it's it's true popcorn film. And I got to say, uh, the remake is a lot of fun. Yeah. Anton Yelnick uh, makes Charlie such a more fun character to watch go through the world instead of, I hope any of these vampires fucking kill him. Which is how the late great, right? kind of feel about, huh? The late, the late great, great, right? And, and McLovin as Evil Ed uh, uh-huh. is also, he's a little less grating, a little more human. <laughs> and also i think that we're like as far as pop filter goes we are colin farrell supporters right yeah, like are, and him and like he is our generation's uh chris sarandon i've said that chris, for a long time sure yeah we we all agreed to write him in for the, the general election um <laughs> i i think that this movie also you know this is something that that came up in the regular the main show well to i i i would say it's actually the side show um bracket episodes is like Fright Night has a secret ingredient that a lot of these movies lack, which is like that true Cocaine. 85 special sauce. This movie feels so 80s and so specifically 85 and in like the best ways. And I it, think yeah. that that gives it a little bit of a, a turbo boost. In an entertaining way, as opposed yeah. to a lot of the other ways, which is like, fuck, why are we yeah. watching movies from 1985? This is awful. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you get a dash of Hughesian. In, in Charlie uh, high school life, and then there's like the '80s club scene that like After Hours had. Like it, it really does. Like it doesn't matter if you want the suburbs or the big city. This movie will do it all. I uh, the one last thing before we vote because uh, we're probably gonna have to talk about Fright Night again. I'm just gonna guess. Um, it's the, the amount of movie? ideas. <laughs> it's <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five: A New Jason. Um, <laughs> Fright Night. The amount of ideas because some of the of these movies are like I've got one idea. And then the producers are like, nope, you don't. That's half an idea, but we'll green light it, and here's some money. <laughs> and Fright Night is a vampire movie, but a sub a suburb movie. And then to add in not just Evil Ed, you know, like to be meta, you know, uh, yeah. 20 years before Scream of have a horror expert in there. And not only that, but then to in order to go get help, like the three amigos element, where we, yeah. we, we think the actors are actually like real and we're gonna go get help from them and they're knowledgeable that's a ton of shit to pack and then all of the all of the you know queer commentary and the all the teenage stuff of i'm not really sure who i'm attracted to that's a ton of stuff i mean that's like five movies that i just described 
when we're talking about the show, the movies on the rest of the bracket. Yeah, so much stuff I loved growing up. I wish I had seen this because it was birthday. They let you scream. Gremlins Two does that as well with oh, the yeah. monster guy. Like it just. It's so weird to like watch the origin of your DNA when you never had it. I just met my grandparent for the first time when I watched Fright Night. I'm so sorry, guys, uh, to both of you. There was an opportunity for me to bring up Gremlins to the new batch, and I didn't. And Mike, thank you so much for swooping in there. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just watched that for the first time like three or four days ago. The it's first time amazing, ever? Right? Yeah. That was it, was it hard to see like the uh, old school version of what we used to think about Trump in the movie? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's very and and also it it's so 80s and that it spends the first 75% of the movie being like evil corporation bad and then completely forgets that and for the last 25% is like this guy's pretty cool, right? Yeah. That's the story of America, man. <laughs> <laughs> my entire child I spent my entire childhood anytime I needed to spend, sound smart uh just trying to do that Tony Curtis gremlin voice of well civilization let's talk about it shall we <laughs> that th- to me that was the definition of what intellectual sounded like I all right guys my entire childhood anytime trying to be sexy just being the lady gremlin <laughs> uh all right let's we got to get to this this might be the hardest of the first round um so try to think about it for a second uh tompkins <laughs> we're gonna start with you the fourth seed fright night versus the fifth seed nightmare on elm street part two fright night Mike? Fright Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't want to make it. Come on. That's too confusing. (laughs) Ah, It's Fright Night. Okay. Fright Night moves on. But Nightmare, good showing. Uh, When we come back, we're going to do Best Supporting Actor. It's not fair that just the girls get a Best Supporting Award. What about awards for men? Your nominees for Best Supporting Actor. Of 1985 horror films. We're going to start with uh, Tompkins. We're going to start with David Gale from Reanimator. That's the guy whose head is in his hand. Yeah, he. I, I think he does a, a pretty good job, all, all things considered. And and on the open-minded rewatch that I did, I will say that uh, a lot of his head work um, did did stand out, and I was able to appreciate it more. I think he's. I think he does. He does a lot. There are some some to me some weak moments in writing that that maybe unfairly I hold against this character because this is a character that I think just has a little bit more going on than it needs to. Such as, for instance, the fact that he might be telepathic. Yeah. No, he definitely is, and it's <laughs> that just happens. Don't think yeah. about it. Mike, what do you do? You did you like his head work, or did you prefer his angry itch? I, I preferred the angry itch. Uh, I thought he did that very well. the The body work is what I came to play with. Uh, yeah, to, to have a movie about dueling Doctor Frankenstein's, uh, for him to set him his energy up different than the main character, I thought he did very well at that. Like, how can I be a different kind of arrogant evil scientist? Yeah, and I loved how he was clearly evil, clearly a villain. Um, but it wasn't necessarily because of like mad scientists. It was like because teachers at colleges are dicks. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> he got drawn into mad science. He was already a prick who was yeah. uh, lusting after somebody fifty years his junior that was his boss's daughter. Like, and yeah. telepathic. And and I don't think he was telepathic pre being headless. I do think if you survive a decapitation, maybe you get a little bonus. It's like Daredevil. No, he definitely was because there there are several scenes early on where he like 
you know, in a, a weird voice, sort of command something to do something, and they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> the the dean, the the father of the girl he's in love with, is the dean. That's his boss. Yeah. And he, still, he's just like, uh, look into my eyes. You're feeling telepathed, and it totally works. Your <laughs> well, next he's a moneymaker. Your next nominee is from Fright Night, round two. Winner or round one winner, round two com- uh, component Fright Night. It's Stephen Jeffries who played Evil Ed. Uh, Mike, dude, so Evil Ed is very annoying, right? But in that way <laughs> that like you either knew and or were Evil Ed in middle school. Like I think guess, he captured guess it. Which is the case for Mike. Uh, I was not nearly uh, confident enough to be Evil Ed. <laughs> Mike was the guy jealous of Evil Ed. Yeah, I wished I could be Evil Ed while I was just hanging out with the lunch ladies in the back. When I grow up, I'm going to be Evil Ed. I'm going to have half a mullet and a great memorable laugh. <laughs> and McLovin, like, Mike, you brought up that McLovin plays him in, who probably has a real name, in the remake. But McLovin is annoying in a way that movie characters are annoying. Right. Stephen Jeffrey's performance is unlike anything I've ever seen. Like he is, <laughs> he is acting like an actual annoying kid because yeah. I think that he is one. He wasn't performing. They were like, "This kid's, this kid's a spaz. Let's put him in the movie." Yeah. Every time the actor who played Charlie hit him, that was ad libbed because he was just sick <laughs> of that, that kid's shit. The I, I he he has one of the best like like performance the the scene where he fakes getting hurt in the alley mm-hmm. it, uh-huh. an unbelievably annoying and uh just devastatingly evil thing to do to someone and uh, like ah he does such a good job of making you feel that feel of of like i have been lied to by a friend who embarrassed me who weaponized my own empathy against me <laughs> this is before he's a vampire right it's yeah just, just before. before so but they know vampires are after them and he's still the kind of prick who will fuck with his yeah. friends and pretend no. to be hurt i'm not sure he would have done that unless he knew that vampires were out and <laughs> well, it would no. have had the most effect the joke's gotta yeah. hurt more i like i remember uh. When I was this age, you know, we all thought that like girls were they only existed to like take your friends away from you. But Amanda Burst, Moody Award winner, Amanda Burst, uh, saying that I fucking hate your friend Evil Ed. Can you get the fuck away from him? She's right on that one. She's yeah. not like just trying to be some controlling girlfriend. She's absolutely correct. Yes. Tompkins, the next nominee is Sherman Howard from Dawn of the Dead, who played Bub. Amazing. I mean, we talked Day about the this Dead. with uh Kate. Um Bub is Bub is great, and and like the fact that someone playing a zombie is on this at all is like a pretty good indication by itself of like what a great performance this is. Yeah, the the slow learning and his excitement when he's told he did a job well done, like he's doctor. That make you think that you might be a zombie? Yeah, yeah. I learned slow, and I get so excited when I learn how to press play in my Walkman, and then. <laughs> Like, again, like, it's always stilted. There's always, like, a filter he has to push his motions through. And his hurt of seeing Dr. Logan dead and his anger when he puts together who did it, all of that, fucking awesome. Yeah, and uh, a lot of these movies, um, you can feel people that uh, are upset about their limited screen time and then just swing for the fences. And this performance didn't, you know? He wasn't, he didn't have that time where he was like, uh, slamming his hand against his head or his head against the window and just screaming, uh, trying to, like, I don't know, maybe get nominated. 
uh, for a real award and not just a Moody. He he just he pl- he played it straight like a zombie yeah. would the entire time. I do, I do wonder if he loved killing the guy in that movie who was doing that the whole time. That the commander of that army base was acting like he was going to get an Oscar nomination for it. I just, I like. I mean, he's the only overactor in that movie that I think it worked. I I liked his overacting in that, but uh, it is overacting. <laughs> Speaking of, Mike, the next nominee is James Karen from Return of the Living Dead, who played Frank. Um, that's the guy in the very beginning who is training Frank. the young kid. Yeah. And um, then, yeah, just basically freaks out for the entire movie. Him and his friend, um, or him and his young trainer, they get the disease and sort of slowly die throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, Frank has like this really sad... He He's just like a good dude teaching this punk kid how to like get by in the world. Uh, he wants to be a little cool, so he's like, check out these army bodies, and then turns yeah. into a Three Stooges character for two thirds of the movie. But at the end, like Freddy just embraces being a zombie, uh, and Frank is like, I'm just gonna go kill myself. Like I was so surprised how slapstick he was for most of the movie, how touching his death was. Yeah, yeah, it's it's for for most of the movie, he's he's doing basically uh, comedic relief, and then right at the end, he really. He pulls it out with uh, uh, a little bit of the the real acting. That fucking I, movie, man. <laughs> I fucking I love love loved this performance. This is one of my favorite of all eight movies. Because um, right away in the beginning of the movie, not only do, is he responsible for setting the tone, but he he also does such a great job of he's that guy that we've all met. Like maybe it's like an uncle or a friend of a dad or whatever. You're just like, oh, I bet you're getting kisses from all the girls. Or like, <laughs> he'll, he'll fart and he'll be like, oh, I, what is there? Is there a barking spider in here? And just like <laughs> laugh, laugh his butt yeah, off at the, the things he says. Old guy yeah. who wants to be looked up to. Yeah, but is, I, has no reason. He gives you no reason to look up to him. He just wants it to happen. We, we mentioned this in the episode, but the fact that he has to do that entire like backstory monologue and then end it with being like, anyways, I want to go see a zombie and makes <laughs> that work is really impressive. <laughs> and that monologue, by the way, is is Night of the Living Dead, right? Yeah. Yes. He's he's describing that what happened in that movie is real and happened in the world of this movie. Yeah. He's Which pulling cool. a lot of work. <laughs> uh Tompkins, the final nominee is from Fright Night. It's Roddy McDowell. It's the uh, actor that they bring onto the team. Roddy McDowell is great. I think he has a strong shot of winning this as well. Um, one scene that it's just so small. I, I again also mentioned this in the episode, but it's just like one of those like lovely details that shows you like everyone is paying attention and trying to make everything as good as they can. But when you see him on his show on TV in the movie. And the very first time you see him, he's lunging at a vampire with a stake, but the stake is backwards in his hand is so good. And he really carries that energy throughout uh, the entire movie. He he is like half bumbling, half wizened. Uh-huh. And uh, you just never quite know which version of him is going to mm-hmm. show up at any moment. Kind of like the perfect counterpoint to Frank uh, in that, you know, does want to be respected. You know, isn't he's it, when the movie starts, he's being told that he isn't because the show's getting turned off. But instead of going hard after that respect, like Frank would, and but has no reason, like he's scared of it. You know, he right. he runs away from it. It freaks yeah. him out when you're like, it's not wait, real. why would you like me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would love to know like what the first film that showed that actors are really just simpy shits. 
because like <laughs> he he does that so well. Like he he's Gilfoy Lockhart in uh, that wizard film we're not allowed to talk about anymore. But like <laughs> it, it's just like so many different versions of this guy have been around since then, and he he crushes it. Actually, as of this recording, Eddie Redmayne came out and said we're being mean to J.K. Rowling. So now we're all we're all back on her side, I guess. No, I mm. think that just means we're going to be all mean to Eddie. Does Redmayne one now. we're going to whisper I, and scream in his face? Does one Eddie Redmayne cancel out the three actors in the much more popular movies? <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie Redmayne did play a man who started transition into a woman. So Which, famously, you cannot do and be problematic about. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Redmayne, you've done it again. Uh, all right, guys, your, your nominees are David Gale from Reanimator, Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night, Sherman Howard from Day of the Dead, James Karen from Return of the Living Dead, and Roddy McDowell from Fright Night. I got to say, strong group. Yeah. yeah. Where, do, where do we think we're going here? I think knowing us, and I'm including myself in us, that I'm guessing it's Bub. Yeah. And I'm back. I say Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. <laughs> All right. The envelope, please. Ooh, it sounds so much more physical this time. It's That's Roddy me. McDowell from Fright Night. Yeah. Two oh, for two. Shit. I thought it was so Fright Night, sure. two for two. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. What does that mean? Is this a Fright Night kind of night fright? Mm. Uh, we'll find out later. But not in the next segment, where we talk about two movies that are not called Fright Night. Round one, battle three. Your third seed is Return of the Living Dead. Your sixth seed is House. 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 Guys, the three of us talked about House for a long time. Do you want to talk about it some more? Let's talk about House. That feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. I've had three kids since then. God, remember those days? I've had, and I've had... Uh, no, just, I can't. I, I, yeah, he just thought about having kids and zoned out. Yeah, yeah I think he was. I think he was going to make a joke about how when I say I've had kids, it means that I have had sex with the kids. I think he was going to say something <laughs> uh, like that. Honestly, it wasn't even that well formed. I was just going to like fuck somehow with the phrasing of, and and I I instantly turned over fifty ways to do it, <laughs> and all of them were just pedophile jokes. So I was trying to opt yeah. out. And there was that, there was nothing. I worked myself immediately into a dead end. That was Paul Simon's first draft of Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover, and the studio yes. said, "There's no way in hell." Come on, man. And that's why it's <laughs> such a nonsense song. Yep, like Tutti Frutti. Right. So, which Fifty Ways would be like throw some candy down the street, or yeah, yeah look, have if, the ice if, cream truck drive if by. His studio said, "Don't do it." I don't think that means we should try to do it. Mm-mm. <laughs> Round Robin, here we go. Let's the see joke if we can knock out all The about your kids is that obviously they would look like those rubber monster kids from House. Oh, yeah. The chimney kids? Yeah. You, you're definitely having a couple of chimney kids in your life, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate the chimney kids. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So House, House, uh, House gave us uh, what was supposed to be like the comedy version of this year. Uh, and I thought that it would, it, it's famous enough where. Uh, maybe it invented some things, but doing some research, we had had horror comedy and much better horror comedy for a long time at this point. House, yeah, yeah. Abbott Costello, <laughs> meet yeah. the monsters. Uh, yeah, Abbott House, meets Costello. Abbott meets Costello. That was crazy. Uh, <laughs> that was a big moment. 
House was the first of the season, I believe. And so I remember being pretty defensive of it and I'd be like, you guys are wrong. This is a good old time of the movies. It's the 80s chill out. And then watching the rest of them, like, oh, no, there's quality in the 80s. You should probably grade House a little lower than you did yeah. initially. You had to calibrate your grading. You got to yep. calibrate your grading. Yeah. I was, I've been watching lots of 80s horror outside of 85 as well, and, and it has the, yeah, I got time to watch a movie. Um, it, has, it has the same f- effect. Like, it, it's not bad, but it is not a cult classic. It's not particularly memorable. It's just a movie that was on the sci-fi channel all the time when you were growing up. Like, get have over you yourself. Watched, Stop. Have you watched House 2? I have not. Cause that's that that I do legit think is the is the famous cult one. Uh, there's oh really? The pizza. There's the different rooms take you to different worlds. Uh, is it so? Is it a Gremlins time, two I'm scenario? Like, I've seen where House they... before. I have once. I've seen House two a bunch. Yeah. Is it a Gremlins yeah. two scenario then, where they're like, let's do this and actually make it fun? Yeah. It's somebody who's like, I. Not even I see seeds of your idea in your pitch. I see seeds of your idea, and I'm yeah. just gonna go do that. <laughs> I, I will say too, and I think that this speaks a lot to. If I can just talk shit on them, Tompkins, your whole uh, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel all day theory, mm-hmm. uh, Mike. Every time that Tompkins and I would have a guest on here, we'd either on air or off air go over the bracket and be like, "So, what do you think of these other movies?" And everyone was like, "House, yeah, House, I loved House," <laughs> and we were just we just looked at each other like that fucking piece of shit idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm on here because only I was brave enough to do that on air. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, how it's totally I, I it's middle of the pack to me. I I think it's um, you know, uh if you need to kill an hour and a half, uh okay, yeah, throw on house, but it's not a blow, uh, mind-blowing movie. I think to me it's a lot lower than ha- like than halfway through the pack because uh in this like I know I just said that Fright Night was great because of all the ideas. House has the same amount of ideas, but it fucking ruins the movie. Like, well, execution yeah. matters too. Yeah, I guess. I guess you can't just throw all the ideas in a blender and hope it comes out okay. But when we think about house, we think about like uh, tools flying around, you know, and a lot of like Sam Raimi ripoff stuff. But do you guys remember the last twenty minutes when he was just in this dark purgatory running around? Like, yes. yeah, there's it's, a lot to it, and it's it's all stupid. You can't yeah. introduce that. There's been a secret main villain in the last 20 minutes of your movie that really should build up slowly. <laughs> like you should have a logic of your haunted house. Well, if you're yeah. going to do that, then have at the beginning of house, have somebody like kill the son, the fat son of that yes. person. And then we can all connect <laughs> it. I, I think that this is a movie like all right, the other movie that it's going against is return of the living dead. Um, and this is a movie that had, it was pretty notorious. Like I'd heard a lot about, um, a lot of the interesting stuff about this movie was, is the backstory mm-hmm. about how, two co-creators of a very famous movie were allowed to use certain words from the title, right? Like you can use uh, of the dead and you can use living dead. And then now everybody go and make their own movies. Um, It's not night of the living dead. And it's definitely different than day of the dead. Um, But does return of the living dead's own sort of essence. Did it work for you guys? Yeah. I like this movie a lot. I think it's a strong contender. Yeah, I, I think so. Like what George Romero took for the of the Dead series was like commentary and how can I make each one of my zombie movies talking about a different thing that's going on in the American psyche. And Dan O'Bannon was like, "Hey, remember George when zombies were fun? Fuck you! I'm gonna go make zombies fun again." And 
I it, it's crazy to me that at, like everybody knows brains, but Return of the Living Dead has kind of gone away, and George Romero's Rules of Zombies has kind of taken hold. And I wish Return of the Living Dead and O'Bannon got way more credit than they generally do in the mainstream. Yeah, this is yeah, I mean, fun as shit. So many zombie tropes came directly from this movie. It was, uh, in terms of like zombie mythos, just as important as uh, George Romero's stuff uh, in the long run, especially. Um, and it it uh, gets in a lot of commentary. Like this movie is, you know, we talked about it. it's it's a very like Cold War movie and it has a sense of like foreboding doom that fits well with like the year and then it actually uh like it has that sense and then it fucking cleans up on it like it actually gives you what you promised you know if this was any other genre or any higher of a budget um focus groups would have come in and said oh i don't like the ending change the ending but because this is a you know low budget horror movie they 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 gave this sense of doom throughout the movie and then like the end is fucking crazy <laughs> it's it's full of that doom yeah and um, yeah i think blended blended the goofiness that a lot of the movies try for blended the goofiness and just real human moments surprising i was more surprised in this movie anytime somebody acted like a real human and there's emotion i was like really return to the yeah. dead <laughs> including miguel a nunez jr especially miguel nunez jr not including <laughs> it, i it love is... the fact that go ahead tom mm-hmm. I was gonna say it is cool to have this and a Romero movie in the same bracket because it is yeah. like uh you know, sometimes it's fun after you go and revisit Blink one eighty two to then listen to a little bit of plus forty four and then a little bit of Angels and Airwaves and be like, ah, this is the them without completing each other you know you're really gonna burn boxcar racer like that fuck you boxcar racer totally different deal um the best of all three of the side bands <laughs> i was i was so nervous that this podcast was too niche and then you, yeah. that you guys no it's actually compared to what they're capable of it's it's fine <laughs> uh but yeah Tompkins. what i was about to say is that 85 gave us not just that you know Romero and O'Bannon split, but it gave us an example of both in the same year, and it sort of taught us that we don't have to fight about which one's better. We can have them both, except for what we're doing tonight, which is <laughs> fighting over which one is better. Yeah, so I would love if they came directly up against each other. That would be a tough one, I think. I think it would prove that there was a god. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well... Let's see who's going to pick House. And I do think that when you guys pick House, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Uh, it's because of the night that the three of us spent together discussing it and maybe not so much about the movie. Yeah. The memories. Uh. Yeah, there's there's definitely like relationships I look upon fondly because of that first magical night and not because of the horrors beneath. Yeah. I mean, House the movie, eh. But oh, those house nights. <laughs> Night. <laughs> Uh, good for us <laughs> alright Mike I believe you're up first your number three your number three seed is Return of the Living Dead your number six seed is House it is hard for me to think of a movie more genetically designed for me than Return of the Living Dead punks in the 80s with zombies Mike <laughs> come on that is again what I based my entire personality on growing up <laughs> Also, you're you're also one of those guys who finds the first opportunity to take off their clothes and then will not put them back on. No Tom matter Kings. how much acid rain burns down upon me. <laughs> Tom gets Return of the Living Dead or House. I vote Return of the Living Dead. 
All right, guys, we have gone chalk so far. I guess that's not surprising, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that'll happen in the second round. When we come back, we're going to do the ultimate in supporting performance awards, best comedic performance. Your next nominee is best, or I'm sorry, your, your next award is best comedic performance, which I would say, although not all of these were comedy, horror, or horror comedy, every, almost every one of these movies had some comedic element or was worse for it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah they had a comedic element or tried to have <laughs> or tried. They w- I'm trying to think of one that would like really kept it straight the entire time. Phenomenon, maybe? I mean, probably the closest would be uh, Day of the Dead. No, I mean that's the the most serious, the almost serious movie made by George Romero. But then he put two of the fucking three hyenas from Lion King in it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the question was what's the most, so <laughs> I answered that. I, yeah, I think I think it is phenomena. I think yeah, phenomena seems to have no sense of humor. The monkey, which is why it's hilarious. No, that monkey is hard hitting, man. <laughs> That monkey was should have been voiced by Tony Curtis as a gremlin, basically. <laughs> all right. Mike, the first nominee is from House. House getting a nomination. It's all of the tools. Good. I was terrified to be George Went, who really phoned it in here. Uh, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you this right now. George Went, comedian superstar, uh, hot off cheers, not nominated for best comedic performance tonight. <laughs> he didn't try. He was just sweaty. These tools, man. They got timing. They got how to knock on a door and just hover. They were the fucking best part of House. <laughs> I mean, and talk about, I mean, to be funny, right? You need to have a, a, a bag of tricks or you could say a bag of tools. And these ones have it all. They got the shear for doing the snippy. They have, I think there was a shovel, right? Yeah. What else? A scythe. A scythe, all the classic shit you've got hanging around your house. All the, all the shit that you have in your suburban tool shed. Yeah, hanging like up next to your scuba gear. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was great. Uh, Tompkins, the next nominee is Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. Uh, great. Uh, obviously, uh, a strong contender, if not a favorite. I mean, we've, we talked about, uh, the pencil snapping. We've, t- I mean, he, he- breaks two pencils. <laughs> he that brings is some dick swinging move. It such is such it- a ridiculous gravitas to the role. It really, uh, works. It's crazy that, that there's an actor out there that, uh, met Crispin Glover in real life and went, Oh, I'll just do that in the movie because <laughs> that is that energy for sure. Um, he also, I will say, in the uh, from from Beyond, which came out in '86, and is the same actor and the same director. He goes through a lot in that, and uh, is I think also the highlight of that movie as well. I'm surprised he didn't have more of a, a horror movie career. Yeah, even if it was just like you know those legacy roles you get when people have heard of you, yeah, and so they just want you to be in their movie, you know, like. How many horror mo- how many horror directors were making movies in the 90s and even aughts that weren't inspired by Reanimator? Like put Jeffrey Combs in your fucking movie, dude. <laughs> have him break three pencils and see if that is too many pencils <laughs> to be broken. Too many. It's too many, bro. <laughs> Mike, your uh next nominee, a uh two-time nominee tonight at the award show is Stephen Jeffries. It's Evil Ed from Fright Night. He it it's the, the charm of Evil Ed and Stephen Jeffries, Ryan, you pointed out earlier, is that 
we're all just pretty sure this is Stephen Jeffrey's real personality. And so it's comedic in that way. They, like, you truly can drive everybody nuts. I mean, at least he makes himself laugh. Yes. <laughs> he does do that. Often. Also, are they even friends? It feels like so often that they really don't like each other. That is I mean, sort that's of a... friendship. That is sort of a realistic part of, of the movie is that, like, oftentimes in high school, you'll have someone where it's like, we're not friends. You're just the only other person that won't beat me up. Yeah, you're or, also a dork, so I yeah. guess I'll hang out with you. And hopefully you have a Sega Genesis. <laughs> uh, we're in the same carpool, or maybe the moms are friends or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how, many, how often he made me laugh, though. Oh, no. Yeah. Never. His long dying. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, t- a strong contender for best supporting. I, I don't think he's a, a strong contender for uh, best comedic. Would- crush him <laughs> speaking <laughs> of best supporting we got another repeat here tomkins it's james karen from eternal living dead it's frank again uh here for best comedic performance where i think this is actually maybe a better category for him the best supporting actor uh yes i agree because he he carries the humor of that movie a lot more than he carries the emotion the the funniest fucking part of frank is uh we apparently there's backstory there's some sort of rivalry between the medical supply store and the mortuary but he <laughs> hates the guy who owns the mortuary it does not explain why but just the vitriol that he's like hey, that guy and he's like you're gonna owe me a favor and he's like why would you fucking promise like, like there's so much crazy shit going on but he's so pissy that the shopkeep next door has something over on his boss <laughs> well this all takes place in one dirty alleyway that has all of the dirty alleyway type businesses right yeah, like yes. It's it's mortuary, it's uh like taxidermy, it's baseball card <laughs> store, storage. it's zombie store. Um your final nominee, Mike, is and I feel like you've been waiting for this moment for all night, Mike. It's Richard Liberty from Day of the Dead. Dick Libs. Is Dick Libs is he the big hyena or the little hyena? He's the doctor. He's the doctor oh, who Dr. hangs Logan. out with yeah. Doctor Logan. Okay, so he's actually funny. George yes. Romero thought those two would be funny, and this guy, this is who I want to grow up to be, <laughs> is their food. I'm covered Him. in blood. <laughs> you are all obviously pointing at guns each other in front a second ago. Yeah. Is their food? And just like how calm he delivers that line. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is he not only is the character in a different place than everyone else, right? Like he feels like that everybody else is like in this bunker where he's in a lab. Right. And they just happen to be in the same location. But he's in a different movie as well. He's in, a, <laughs> he's in a differently toned movie. And I still think it works. His performance, I think, is fucking out there in something that the movie desperately, desperately needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and again, like, covers that, that, that mad scientist in a different way where he is so attuned to his work. And there's no real – if there's any glimmer of arrogance, it's just that they truly do not understand. And he has picked up on – if yeah. we're going to survive, this is the only way to do it. But it sounds so crazy. Nobody can buy into it. So he looks down on them. Yeah, I, I got to say, if, if the Oscars, God forbid, ever decided to do a, a Best Comedic Performance uh, Award, it would be full of like the stupidest bullshit of all time because it would always be um, someone who's Viga doing... Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would be like someone Viggo in a Viggo Mortensen in A History of Violence. <laughs> Viggo Mortensen and Return of the King. It would always be a uh, very serious 
overall movie, but someone like makes a couple cracks or something like that mm. because the uh, Oscars are so up their own butt. But I, I, you know who it would always be, and I love this person. Uh-huh. I fucking truly love this person. But it would all it would be Joan Cusack every year. Yeah, Joan <laughs> Cusack would be in like two scenes of one Oscar movie and would get the award twelve years in a row. Yep. <laughs> um, but but that said, I I do think that. Uh, it's hard not to give characters who show that they can do dramatic as well, like a, a little bit of an edge. And yeah. one, one thing about, yeah, this guy is, is that there's like the whole arc with him and Bub that has some real like meat to it. And even though that part isn't specifically funny, somehow feels like it kind of makes the funny parts better. One of the things that uh, some of these movies have in common is that when they go to cast a lot of these like side roles, when it comes to like older people, they're casting people who have been working for sixty years mm-hmm. in Hollywood on movies and TV. Like time, because we haven't even talked about Klugeluger yet, who was in <laughs> two Luger. different. Klugeluger has been in two <laughs> different eighty-five movies, um, but and he's just just like uh, just like James Cameron, just like Richard Liberty, they're uh, just like Hope Lang, the mom from Nightmare Two. Mm-hmm. Um, they were never big time stars, but the directors and the writers and the like producers, they had grown up with these people and like, look, we can, this like almost, it makes us feel like we've legitimized our thing. Yeah. Uh, that like we can get this person, you know, um, a lot of nominees here are that. Yeah. So I also, I got to say Klugeluger not nominated for this, but when we get to the uh, best Klugeluger award, I think he has, I mean, he's practically a shoe. Somebody else I is think- a pretty good Kluger. <laughs> I can't believe that you think that Klugeluger has a chance of even beating Klugeluger when clearly it will be Klugeluger. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, your nominees are all of the tools from House, Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator, Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night, James Karen from Return of the Living Dead, and Richard Liberty from Day of the Dead. Where do we think we're going? Tools, tools, tools. I think, I think Richard Liberty's got the heat on this one. It feels like it, right? It feels yeah. like we really we want to give it to him. We talk about him for 10 minutes. Yeah. And your winner is... That's me eating up the envelope. Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. Ah. That is shocking. I love when we can shock ourselves. That is not shocking. And if you think it's shocking, I'm going to break a fucking pencil right in your face. (laughs) And I shall break a second pencil. No, you son of a bitch. Now that's fighting words. (laughs) Do you guys know how he can tell stuff is dated? Uh, is in the eighties apparently that's how you broke a pencil, but in the nineties you would put it in between your middle three fingers and then slam your hand on the on your desk, and that's how you would snap a pencil. <laughs> that sounds painful. Well, if you, I mean, I guess if you're a fucking wuss. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Reanimator for uh, not being Fright Night. Yeah. So Fright Night is not going to sweep all of the awards tonight. When we come back, our final battle of the first round. Gentlemen, the final battle of the first round. Your number two seed is Day of the Dead. Your number seven seed. I bet you guys can't even guess. I bet you can't even think of the one movie that we have not talked about yet. Is it one phenomenon? Uh, I'm sorry. Are you saying phenomenon? The John Travolta has superpowers movie. That's no, I'm saying phenomenon. Michael. The uh, album by uh, Thousand Foot Crutch, the Christian rap rock band. What? <laughs> Like more than POD? Uh, way more Christian, yeah. <laughs> Just not way more. I would way say more way Christian, m- way less rap. Way, I, I would say way more rap. Um, the 
but they're they bad. Never felt so alive. Mike, have, Tompkins and I had a chance. I'm going to move on. This is bullshit. Uh, Mike, have Tompkins sure? and I had a chance to talk to you about, about uh, phenomena yet? Have you had a chance to talk about phenomena yet? With you, have no. you told us your feelings on it? I have not told you my feelings on it. it Do you guys want to hear something crazy before uh, Mike answers a question that I clearly asked him and gave him time to speak? And yes, then as soon yes. as he started, uh, then I talked. Uh, each of us got to pick a movie to be in the bracket. We let Letterbox choose the top five seeds. Uh, and then, Mike, you chose House for the sixth seed. Mm-hmm. I chose Phenomena for the seventh seed. And I do not know why at this point. And Tompkins, <laughs> the eighth seed you chose, it was Friday the 13th Part 5. We yes. could have not fucking watched that movie. Stupid bastard. <laughs> you I welcome. that. You're welcome. Uh, I, think, I think each of those picks kind of reveals something about a personality. Uh, Ryan wants to be artistic, but is inevitably kind of a failure. I, uh, I think yeah. I'm funny. And I am not at all. And, and you're Tompkins a tool. And is Tompkins a, has to pick last, and there's no good options anyway. Tompkins is just a goddamn mess. <laughs> <laughs> the, the structure of the movie of Friday the 13th Part 5 resembles the structure of Tompkins' life, basically. Certainly my inner life. And your right. obsession with Malk, Malk Food Court Food. Malk and Food Malk. Court Food? <laughs> yeah, Tompkins yeah. is the problem here, Mike. Way to go. <laughs> Guys, Sorry, I uh, stuttered once, just like our soon-to-be president, you assholes. Uh, <laughs> I really, I was really hoping that this was the segment where we didn't talk about Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, but unfortunately, one of the, the three of us brought it up, and I hope they're sorry. Uh, Mike, phenomena. Did you watch it? Did you love it? Did I, you love the music, dude? It. it sh- listen to the episode. Uh, you guys talked about how atonal the music was; like it had no idea what was going on. I was like, surely. That cannot be correct. <laughs> and oh my God. <laughs> it really feels like uh, while somebody was editing a film, their neighbor played their fucking music too loud and it got on yeah. the movie. Like it had zero connection to what was going on. Or I, like one of those things where, uh, I don't know, this, is, this seems like a hipster bar kind of thing, but you play a movie on the screen, you have a band, and instead of playing the music, you, you just have guar. You have Guar mm-hmm. come in and just play. <laughs> Guar just plays whatever the fuck they want. They're not looking at the screen. They've never seen the movie before. They just Guar it up. Yeah. Uh, after the first like half of this movie, you could have played any song over any of the scenes in there, and it would no longer have phased me. Nope. Um, and and talking about humor, intentional or otherwise, uh, we we definitely talked off the show about like how fucking nuts the music goes as she's reaching for that that glove. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, the glove that's like in a bush. And the music yeah. is crazy intense. <laughs> it's 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 like one in the morning. It's completely silent in the non-diegetic uh-huh. diegetic sound. Uh, what you could do is you could help it almost like sound quieter by adding music that that even though you're adding sound, you still make it feel like it's even quieter than it actually is. <laughs> and instead. They bring in 13 guitar players to fucking mosh against each other and slam the keys of each other's guitar. If, if music is supposed to show the emotions of a character, it makes me feel like I've never reached for a glove in a bush the right way. <laughs> I've never felt that intense. I'm doing this Do you know wrong. why, Mike? It's because every time you do it, you have uh, like AirPods in instead of two Bose speakers taped to your head. That's, that's how you should do it next time. That's, that's the issue. Ah, what a movie. It is yeah. I will say one of the most terrifying just because of how fucking gross it is. When she's in that soup 
when she's in body soup. That is yeah. the oh, nastiest yeah. thing we've seen out of any of the movies. One of my I believe least it's, favorite. It's called soups. New England clam diarrhea. <laughs> and <laughs> and the whole like and this is why I think that the, the woman could have gotten this best supporting actress. Like why I think it's fine she's nominated when Connolly's reaching to try to climb out and she just like does the evil person stomp on the fingers. It looked like she really stomped on that poor girl's fingers. Like like the Irishman. It, yeah, it was horrifying. I mean, Jennifer Connolly's fingers really got worked over. Yeah, but yeah. the monkey and that lady. <laughs> But also, I don't know if anybody's talked about the tool enough. The murder tool is like a tent pole with a knife on the end of it. And yeah. Like, so we're supposed to believe this little four-toothed kid put that together every time before he killed somebody? <laughs> four-toothed <laughs> well, kid. The movie was trying to talk about how disabled people are just as strong as we are. And sometimes that's for bad and sometimes that's for good. I can't believe that we talked about, I think it was Fright Night and what was the other one? Um fright night and uh house as these two movies that have a ton of ideas and one executes them good and one executes them bad and left out phenomena seven or eight different movies all rolled into one batshit (laughs) diarrhea i I, I do have a bone to pick or maybe not a bone to pick just like clarification because in in the phenomena episode which was phenomenal you guys talked about how there were two serial killers and i was looking for that the whole time and i couldn't other than the mole rat kid i could not find who the second killer was his mom yeah it's the kid and his mom it's psycho and yeah jason oh okay that's fine the mama it's uh, the opposite that, of the dinosaur the baby. That's uh, Mike. I'm like just to be clear. Uh, I'm not going to give you that much shit because I think Simone was the guest on that one. Uh, Simone Norman, and she we told her that like eight or nine times in the episode. She yeah, could but not that's remember not a good yeah. That's not a good who, boat to be in. <laughs> well, I just tune out Simone. So who was the dude who the mom had chained up? At the end, the we cop. just don't know. Uh, the, the cop detective. that is like, oh, a scar on your boobs. Should I get in there and, and paw at it a while? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, sir? He's like, he's like, oh, I see you have a, a big scar on your chest there. Should I just like get in there like I'm making hamburger helper? <laughs> oh. Uh, he deserves to be chained up then. That's fine. Yeah. Uh. Uh, co- coincidence, I think not. The mascot for ha- Hamburger Helper is a glove, yes. which is stuck in the trees, which <laughs> makes loud music. Glove <laughs> cranking goblin. I I am not sure that this has any chance to go up against Day of the Dead, a movie that I actually think, Mike, Day of the Dead was our first episode with Kate, and then you came in for the second episode. I just assumed I was the first episode. Yeah, that's sort of how your solipsism works. Um, <laughs> but is is Day of the Dead just moving on because Phenomena is a big bottle of bullshit? And because Day of the Dead has interesting bullshit. I I like Day of the Dead. I think that it has very forgivable flaws and that it is it is saying and doing interesting things. Um, it is very different from the, the previous two Romero zombie flicks. But I think that it's different in an interesting way because it's tackling something different. And those are both, um, you know, the first movie feels like it's about American racism. The second movie feels like it's about uh, American uh, consumerism. consumerism. This is like about not even necessarily American, but just like it's it's more like nihilistic. It's more like big picture. It's more zoomed out. And I think he alters the tone of a lot of what's happening to to fit that. And so it does make it less of like a fun zombie romp. 
Um, but I think it's I think it's doing cool stuff. And like, yeah, once you get over the um, big performances, I think it has a lot to offer. So I think I think it's a mixture. I, I, I would be surprised if Day of the Dead took it all down. But I think there are a lot of movies on here that it, it, it stands a fighting chance against. I honestly wouldn't be that surprised. Like based on our all of our sensibilities and the way that this, the brackets often work, Tompkins, is, is that it's everybody's second favorite comes in first. So <laughs> yay. Yeah. We're all stoked about that. But I wouldn't be that surprised because it's a well-made movie mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of things that the three of us like. And it, like you said, Tompkins, it's got a lot of things that the three of us are okay ignoring uh, as far as flaws go. Mm-hmm. And I think that at least me and you, Tompkins, I don't know about you, Mike, we had the added bonus of not seeing this when it first came out. You know, like in 85. I, I saw it when it came out, yeah. Uh, everybody was so. Everybody wanted that, you know, third movie. Everybody loved Dawn of the Dead, and they want, and they were disappointed by it because it wasn't the same as that. And we don't give a shit about that. We watched right. it way later, and yeah. that doesn't matter to us at all. Yeah, there's less zombie horror. It's so obvious that he got like older and more angry, and that comes out through this movie. He's <laughs> like, wait, maybe people are awful and won't help each other out. Maybe they'll all get each other's way. And it does. Is feel it like, about Dan O'Bannon? Is he the awful person? It might be about Dan O'Bannon. And it it does feel like this is what The Walking Dead, the comic book, lifted the most from the what if we are the monsters? Because the first two weren't really that. (laughs) Yeah. Or not as obvious. Not Not as as like not as much as a plot point instead of like it was closer to like symbolism. Not as yeah, everybody watching this wants to hang out with Bub more than they want to hang out with fucking any of the military guys. (laughs) Well he knows how to turn on a walkman, so He he knows how to party. All right, I'm going to call this as much as fun as it is. I, I honestly want to do a show about Phenomena right now with the three of us, uh, but we don't have time. So I would love let's to do a Phenomena versus Phenomenon. Let's see. Let's really figure out which has more merit. Phenomenon, the album by Thousand Foot Crunch. The Crunch. Christian rap group. Yes. Okay. The song Phenomena. So, I could probably rap a good chunk of it if you'd like me to. Is that? I would love you. Let's play that over the credits. It's uh, the chorus goes down. Here comes the sound. Let me show them all how you move to this phenomena. Yeah, Mike, you're never two, all about that. Mike, you're number two seed is Day of the Dead. You're number seven seed is Phenomena. What do you think? I think it is the Day of the Dead. Tompkins, I want you to vote in the style of a thousand foot crutch rapping. Okay. This is a movie. It's really good, D, and it is bad when the phenomenon is a movie too. And so the the one that wins is the day of the freaking dead, and it is going on and down. Here comes the sound. Here comes you the get <laughs> All right, so we are going chalk and in, uh, in the first round, and the only time that we didn't all three agree with each other is when Tompkins just voted for Friday the Thirteenth for no fucking reason. <laughs> It was his pick. Obviously, it was a political I am an vote. Agent of chaos. Uh, that's going to do it for the first part of the finale. Um, so our final four is Reanimator, Fright Night, Return of the Living Dead, and Day of the Dead. I'm I'm pretty sure not a lot of surprises there. Zero. But at a certain point, some of those movies are going to have to go away, and that's when when it's going to get tough. Also, guys, next week we're going to do uh, best actor and best actress. A couple of other awards, including best horror scene, which I feel like is the ultimate award that we're gonna do can i Mike say and Tompkins, something thank you so much for coming on and Tompkins, yeah go ahead and Don't, say something I, oh, no. I want to say listeners you out there you're listening to this maybe you're on your way to work 
or you go to shower and put this on, whatever it is. Hey, be I want to say that's fifteen seconds from your bed to your shower. Just be okay with that silence, guys. Well, maybe you work in a shower. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to discriminate. So, maybe yeah. you work in a bathhouse, like spirit. Yeah, whatever it is. Thank you. You listen to the whole episode and probably the whole season. You'll probably listen to the next one, and that is cool to me. Catch you on the flip side. Listeners, let me point out that Tompkins thanked you and Mike did not. Hey, listeners. Well, no, actually, Mike, we got to go. We got to go. Fuck yourself. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye. 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 Bye.